Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we're, we're on an earth walk. We're going through the Gospel of Luke and we are really looking at his life, the life of Jesus, and we've been progressing, learning different things, and, and as we've gotten into chapter 11, chapter 11, the first four verses start off with a disciple asking Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and, and that's really a natural question because the reality is, is that we don't really know how to pray. The Bible even says that later on. Paul in his epistles will tell us that we don't know how to pray and that the Spirit intercedes on, a, on our behalf. The reality is, folks, he's going to show them, and as you've already seen last week when we looked at the model prayer, that there is a way to talk to God. There is a way to go to him and to share with him the things that are on our hearts and our minds. And to put that all into perspective with who he is and what his will is and, and submitting to that will. So now we get into verses 5 through 8, and he's going to talk about how we approach prayer and and how we can come to him and what we can say to him and so forth. And So what I want to do is I want to divide this, these verses into two sections. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, we're going to read the passage and then I'm going to present to you what I want you to see this morning. So notice with me, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within the house, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. He said, and I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friends, yet because of the persistence, he will rise and give him as many as his needs. What we're going to see here, folks, is that Jesus is going to talk to us today about praying boldly. You and I have a privilege to go to him and boldly pray and lift up the things that are on our hearts. So what I want us to see, first of all, is again, as we did last week, we're going to talk about the struggle, the struggle that you and I have in prayer And then we're going to talk about the nature of prayer that we see here in these few verses. So first of all, the first thing I want you to notice about the struggle, and the reality is, is that most of us, let's just be honest, most of us struggle with our prayer life. So let me just stop for a moment. I've got to say this. What is prayer? It's nothing more than speaking with God. For most of us, we look at it as some sort of ritual, some sort of religious ritual or exercise that we must partake in. But prayer is nothing more than you talking with God. So here's what the struggle is. Number one, meaningful prayer is difficult. Meaningful prayer is difficult. What I mean by meaningful prayer, that is where you engage with the living God, the creator of the universe, on a personal level and talk with him about what's going on in your life and what his will is for your life. That's meaningful prayer. That's the exact opposite of ritualistic prayer. 
Like, what do you mean by ritualistic prayer? It's saying the same thing over and over that where you get to the place when you pray, you don't even know what you're praying. You say the same thing every time. In fact, you could pray on, you know, somebody says, go ahead and pray, and you just pray, and you say the same prayer. It's meaningless. It's, it's not you engaging God. Because what we're talking about here is a meaningful conversation with God. And last week we used the illustration of a marriage to kind of help us to understand that. None of you, hopefully, in your relationships would talk to each other and not know what you're saying to the other person. You would engage in meaningful conversation of some sort where you are engaging them on their level to speak with them. Now the problem is, as you and I both know, even in our relationships, that that type of communication is what? Difficult. It's difficult. Now, here's the other part that makes it difficult. We give up too easily. We give up too easily. Especially when it comes to prayer, and especially if you're praying about God doing something or God reaching someone in your life. We have a tendency that if we don't see an immediate change in what we're praying about, God, I want you to work out this situation. God, I want you to work in this person's life. If we don't see God immediately doing what we're asking, we give up. And the concept of praying about something for weeks or months or, folks, even years is beyond us. We can't even comprehend that. Because you know what you know why that is? I think part of it is because of our culture. We're in the microwave generation. We're in the, in the drive-through generation where, you know what, we're at, have it your way and, and go to McDonald's and order it. And we, want, and we get ticked off if they tell you, pull over there. Because we want it now. That's why we have tracking now on the computer. Have you noticed that? Some of you here are old enough to remember what it was like 30, 40 years ago when you ordered something and you just kind of waited for it to come. Now... If they come a day later than what the computer says they're supposed to come, you get upset and you call, where's my package? You never used to do that. We have that same attitude with prayer. And so when things don't happen immediately, we give up. You know, if you look at church history, one of the greatest uh, prayer warriors of his time was George Mueller. And one of the stories about George Mueller is, is that he had a list of 78 people that he prayed for. 78 people that he prayed for throughout his life. He consistently prayed for them. And one by one, they came to Christ, except one person. And he would go to his deathbed, never seeing that one person come to Christ. But he never gave up praying for him. The interesting thing is the biographers say that after his death, shortly after his death, that individual came to Christ too. See, that whole concept of praying all of our life for one person to come to Jesus... I would dare say that even myself, that, that just seems difficult. We just give up too easily, don't we? And there's another part of the struggle that I need to present to you before we look at what Jesus is saying here, is that we don't know how to approach God. We don't know how to approach God. I mean, let, let's be honest. If, we, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times our approaches to God are, are kind of flawed because... Well, I'll give you several descriptions. Number one, sometimes we're too ashamed to pray because we think about what we've done and we know that God knows that. And so it's sort of like you're sheepish. 
Do you remember what it was like when you were raised and you did wrong and you know your mama and daddy know you did wrong and you knew you had to face them and, the, and you tried everything you, I mean, you're on the school bus and you know that they're going to talk to you as soon as you get home and you're hoping that the bus driver gets a flat tire or that there's a detour or something just to prolong it and then when you get off the bus, it's like it didn't take you long before to go home and watch TV, but now it's like you're dragging yourself home because you don't want to see them. And so sometimes that's our approach to prayer. We know that we have not done right. So we don't know how to approach it. Here, here's another way. I'm going to be honest with you. For some of us, our approach is manipulative. We just need to say it like it is. We may strategize what we're going to say before we talk to God, like he doesn't hear that. I mean, how far would you get if you did that at home? If you're in one room and you're talking about, well, this is what I'm going to say to her, blah, 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 blah. And she hears you. And then you come in and try that on her. Is that going to work? Because you've rehearsed it. Because you're being manipulative. And part of the manipulation is talking to him in a way that says, we know, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. We don't know how to approach him. You know what I'm talking about? We don't know how to approach God. That's the struggle. So because we don't know how, and, and, and be honest with you, when you do those kind of things, you don't want to pray. The other part of it, the struggle is, is that our approach to God is because we don't know him. I was... Uh, Last week I was talking to somebody here in the church and we were talking about a book by James Packer entitled Knowing God. It was one of the first books that I bought when I was a new Christian 20-some years ago. And I decided to read it again. And one of the amazing things that it caught me, maybe it's because we were going through this study in prayer as we got to this part of Luke, is Packer says this. I thought it was very great. He said, I'm going, to, I'm going to paraphrase it, but the whole point is is that you may say that you know a lot about God, but if you don't pray, you don't know much about Him at all. We've got a problem with our approach. That's our struggle. So into it, let's go back to the context now. He's got this disciple, they're, they're there, and the disciple says, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he gives them the model prayer. He tells them the things that they should pray about. But then he goes into this parable, this story, and it kind of doesn't make sense. Except at the end, he kind of helps you to understand what he's saying. He, he, he goes into this story and he talks about, he says, you got a friend and somebody comes to visit you at night and you don't have food. Let me explain the culture a little bit. It's a little bit different than our culture. In their day, first of all, food was scarce. So I mentioned to you, they didn't live to eat, they ate to live. And the other part of it is, is they were bound by a cultural standard, which a lot of countries in the world are still like this, where if you had somebody come to visit you, it is your responsibility as the host to lavish them, to feed them, to provide for their every need. And if you could not do that, that would be a shameful thing, it would be a disgraceful thing in the community that, that you couldn't take care of your, of, your, of your visitor. So here's this guy, he's got a friend, his friend shows up in the middle of the night, so he goes to another friend's house, and it's midnight, folks. Think about this. Picture yourself, it's midnight, you're in bed, and, and somebody comes up and, and they're beating on the door, ringing the doorbell. 
Hey! Wake up! Uh, first of all, how are you feeling when that happens? I mean, you just drifted off into deep sleep. And, and you go to the door and a guy's saying, I need some bread! How many loaves you got here? I need them. I got somebody showed up. I need some bread. What? You know what time it is? The door's shut. The kids are in bed. You're waking them up, dude. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is saying that, go home, the guy's saying. Go home. Why, why are you bothering me? Now, you understand that they didn't have a Unimart or a Snappies or a Fuel On. They didn't have sheets nearby that they could go to and buy a loaf of bread for five times what it's worth. That's not the culture of that day. There, there wasn't a market that they, a 24-hour market that didn't exist then. So he's going. He's he's bound by a cultural norm that says he's got to take care of his neighbor. And so he's beating on the door. He's being just flat out rude, wanting his need met. Then notice what Jesus says. I want you to notice with me. Look at verse eight. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Okay, he says, look, he's not going to give it to him just because he's his friend. That's what Jesus is saying here. But here's why he gave it to him. Yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Because the guy will not leave and he's beating on the door and he's begging and he's doing everything he can... He says, the neighbor will give him as much as he needs. Why? To get the guy to leave him alone so he can go back to bed. This is the story. Now, out of this story, Jesus really gives us a picture of prayer, the nature of prayer. And hopefully it will communicate something. Here's the first point I want you to see. Jesus calls us to radical prayer. I want you to think about the story for a moment. I want you to think about this guy coming at midnight, beating on the door, begging for, for have him, this guy, his friend, to help him, to give him some food. I mean, it's 12 o'clock at midnight. That's radical. Jesus, by this story, just the this, this story, because when you look at it, you're like, man, what is wrong with this guy doing that? That's, that, that? You know, he's worried about the cultural norm of not being able to feed his neighbor. What about bothering his neighbor? What about that cultural norm? This is what Jesus is wanting us to understand. He wants us to understand that conversation with him, prayer with him, it needs to be radical. You need to go beyond the norm in your life. Which, let's be honest, for some of us, is we don't pray. Let's just be honest. So praying is radical. Just the concept of talking with him is radical. So Jesus is calling him to radical prayer. Now, and out of this, I want you to see something. Notice with me in verse 8. He said, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Here's what I want you to see about the nature of prayer. It comes out of that word persistence. Our English translation doesn't bring it out, but that, per, that word persistence actually can be translated in a couple of different ways. It can mean boldness. And it can also mean shamelessness. So what do we see out of it? I see three extra things there. Number one, here's what he's telling us to be. We need to be shameless in our prayer. Look, coming to somebody at 12 o'clock at night, beating on their door, asking for a bread, 
and being persistent about it, knowing that their kids are asleep. You, you know, I mean, that's just shameless, isn't it? Because if you thought about it, if you were in the same situation, many of us would not do what this guy's doing simply because we know better. We would not do something like this because, I mean, that's shameful to do that. This is what the Word is trying to help us to understand here. Because of, Jesus is saying, because of his persistence. Again, notice what the Word also means. Because of his shamelessness. He'll give him what he wants. See, God's calling us to be shameless in our prayer. You know, we can say it this way. God's calling us to be real. Real. You know, you don't have to be fake. In fact, isn't that what Jesus talks about? If you go to Matthew, he talks about the hypocrites and how they play. The hypocrites are what, folks? Fake. He is communicating to us that when we come to him, he's calling us to radical prayer. And the first component of that is that I am shameless. I'm going to come to him no matter when with my issue because I need him to do something. I'm going to be shameless about it. Now think back to some of our approaches some of our approaches are manipulative. Some of our approaches is because we are guilty or shamed by what we've done. This is the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying here, isn't he? He's saying that you and I are to come to him and we're to be shameless in our approach. Here's the other aspect of it. We're to be bold. We're to be bold. You don't need to be mealy-moused about it. You don't, do you understand what I'm saying? You don't need to wonder, well, can I really talk to him about this or... You know, God, I've got something on my mind. You know, he already knows. You know what I'm saying? Nothing's hidden from him. So go in his room and be bold. In fact, isn't that what Hebrews says? If you, if you look with me in Hebrews all the way over, I think it's chapter 4. In fact, the writer of Hebrews even tells us why we can do this. Why we can be bold. He says in verse 14 of chapter 4, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So, seeing because I have a great high priest, I have somebody who's interceding for me. There is Jesus, the one who died for me. Because of Jesus, here's what it says. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he's talking about Jesus here. He's like us. He's endured the same things, but without sin. Then he goes on to verse 16. Here's what he said. Now, because of that, because of Jesus, listen to what verse 16 says. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us come boldly that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. This is what Jesus is talking about. He, he's, you know what he's talking about prayer? When he's talking about prayer, you don't need to be wondering, man, should I be here or not? Should I be bringing my problem before you, Lord? No, because of what Jesus has done. You can walk in and say, God, I need you. God, I need you to do this. God, this is the problem I'm facing. God, help me with my attitude today. You can be real and you can talk to him. Why that sounds so different than what we're used to hearing, isn't it? I mean, think about it for a moment. Our concepts of prayer come not from the Bible but from what we witness. So what do you mean, George? Our concept of prayer and how we approach God a lot of times comes more from what we see rather than what we read in His Word. Because in His Word He's saying we can be shameless, we can be bold, 
But here's the fact. What we do is we look at others around us, especially in church, when so-and-so, brother so-and-so, or sister so-and-so is called on to pray, we hear some great high priestly prayer, sometimes with language we don't understand, and, and that's our whole concept of what prayer is. And the problem is, is that's not prayer. Prayer is going to him and saying, I need you. Prayer is knowing that I can walk in and talk to him anytime. You know, the story's told, JFK, when his presidency, was having a cabinet meeting in his Oval Office. And they were discussing something pretty serious or whatever. And John John, pushing his little car, comes into the meeting with his little car. And the rest of the cabinet members are there, like we're having this meeting. What's this kid doing here? But JFK just ignored him and went on with the meeting. Because as far as he was concerned, it was okay for John John to interrupt the meeting. That's the kind of boldness I'm talking about, folks. Too often times we think, oh, God's got all this stuff in the world to deal with. He's got the economy. He's got Iraq, Afghanistan, the world, and all of its problems. People need to get saved. He doesn't have any time for me. You know what? You can interrupt him anytime. This is what he's talking about. You need to be shameless, and you need to be bold in your prayer. You need to go to him. Because one other aspect that comes out in our English translation of the word is we need to be persistent. We need to be persistent. We need to keep knocking on the door. And listen, think about what's going on here. The guy is beating on the door and he won't quit until he gets what he wants. It's the type of prayer God's calling us to. You know, the old timers... We don't hear these terms anymore in our churches anymore. But the old timers would talk about praying things through. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've heard that statement before. We don't use that anymore in our churches anymore. Boy, we've lost it, haven't we? Now here's what praying it through. What does that mean, praying it through? That means you are embracing the throne of God for the issue until you know in your heart that God has heard you, whatever the answer may be. That's persistence. Seems like we need to take something back into our vocabulary in church, don't we? We need to pray. We need to grab a hold of the throne of God and say, God, I'm here. I need you. And I need you to respond. I need you to answer this prayer. And God, I'm not leaving until you tell me something. We need to be persistent. Do you see the difference in approach that we take? I mean, I mean hey, folks, He just gave you a license. He just gave you permission to come to Him anytime, boldly, shamelessly, persistently, and ask Him what it is that's on your heart. And you can keep bringing it up. Because sometimes we have a concept of like, you know, I, as a dad, you know, my, my kids come to me and, and sometimes they ask the same thing over and over. And after a while, you know, you get badgered a lot. You get irritated. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I've already told you. No. Or, I, I told you I would think about it, but you're making it become a no. Do you know what I mean? How many of you know what I'm talking about with your kids? You know, This is sometimes we have a concept that God's like that, and we're like, man, I can't keep going to him about this because he's going to tell me no just because I'm being a pain. 
No, this is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, the guy received an answer because he was persistent. Be persistent. Be bold. Be shameless. Do you understand now why this is radical prayer? Because it's the exact opposite of what we have taught ourselves over the years. You say, George, okay, how, how, do I, how do we apply this to my life? Here, I've got three things for you. First one's a question again. And you're just going to have to be honest with yourself. Do you, do you find prayer a struggle? Look, if, if, we're going to, if we're going to become the people of prayer that we need to be, if we're going to have this radical prayer life where we can come to Him and boldly and persistently and shamelessly embrace the throne and let Him know that things... You've got to start off first with honesty. And you've got to, you've got to say, right now it's a struggle. I don't pray. I don't know how to pray. I'm frustrated in prayer. I'm angry. Because sometimes that happens too. Because some of you can be angry because God didn't answer something the way you wanted Him to answer. Do you find prayer a struggle? And then, how would you describe your prayers? I mean, when you do pray, how is it? Is it manipulative? Are you manipulative with God? Are you trying to force Him into something? First of all, let me just remind you, God can't be forced into anything. You're not the one in control. He is. Or is your approach where you're shamed? What I mean by that is you go to him and you say things like, well, you know, God, I know I don't deserve anything. I know, I remember, I, I know what I did, Lord. If, if you could just be, just one time, you know, is that your approach? How would you describe your prayers? And then here's what I would say. Embrace radical prayer. Embrace it. Here's the thing. I want you to listen to me. You don't have to question whether or not God wants to hear from you. It's already answered. He wants to. You don't have to question whether or not He has time for you. It's already been answered. He has time for you. You don't have to question, does He care about what's going on in my life? It's already been answered for you. He cares greatly what's going on in your life. So then what's keeping you from talking to Him? You know, this statement is for myself as much as it is for you. You know what? Here's the thing. A lot of times we don't talk to people. We don't talk to people because a lot of times we'll say, well, they don't truly understand what I'm feeling. They don't truly understand what my needs are. They don't truly understand me. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? We don't talk to people because they maybe don't understand us. You know what? Here's the thing. God understands everything about you. He knows every thought. He saw you when you were formed in your mother's womb. He formed you. He knows the hair on your head, or in my case, the lack of. He knows you. He knows your feelings. He knows what you went through. He knows what's going to take place later on. can't think of a better person to talk to, can you? Embrace radical prayer. 
grace. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.